Welcome to Open Curtain. While there are many technical challenges to creating great photographs, there are many life challenges to being an artist. Join me as I talk with working photographers about what they've had to do to support their passion and the complexity of creating work that matters using the most popular medium of today. appreciate you taking the time and sitting down with me and talk to me on my new podcast. Yeah, of course. I got, I mean, I got to listen to a, a couple of episodes, so it seems interesting. And I mean, you had what Janet and Brian, who I know both of them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure we've probably met in passing or been at the same place at the same time, but never met. Yeah. Um, I used to print at Lightwave, so I printed for a lot of the Bay Area photographers. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, then, then there's probably a good possibility we met then, for sure, because Heido's, yeah. Heido's the one who turned me on to light waves back when I was a student at CCAC, so. Yeah, so I, I kind of just wanted to get started and, yeah. and get to know you a little bit, who you are, you know, where you're from, what did you want to be when you grew up, and your journey into becoming a director. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a lot there. Uh, I mean, I grew up, for the most part, outside of Philadelphia, Westchester, Pennsylvania. Um, prior to that, we we moved around quite a bit. And the first, I mean, I guess the, the first thing I remember wanting to be when I was younger was a marine biologist. And I think part of that was because we lived in Tampa for a little bit, and I had been to SeaWorld, and I think it, it probably stemmed from that. But that did not last long. And then I, you know, then I think like a lot of young guys, I wanted to play sports. So I played basketball a lot. I never played ice hockey, but I was obsessed with being an ice hockey goalie. But my mom was a single mother. You know, the ice hockey was so expensive to play especially if you wanted to be goalie and have all that equipment. So, and then, I mean, I was kind of like a math whiz when I was in middle school and high school. So at the public high school I went to, I was advised to go into accounting. So I went to college in Western Pennsylvania at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. And that, wow. And, and now you're in art, which is like the other side of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, it's like the complete, I guess somewhat, I mean, it's a business, as you know, too, I mean, with the gallery world. But yeah, for sure, that lasted one semester. Uh, and I realized I was good at math, but I didn't want to do it for the rest of my life. Um, yeah. And I was lucky enough that there was a senior who had to move back into the dorms. He was specializing in kind of helping people figure out what they wanted to do with the rest of their life. He's, he studied psychology, but that's kind of where he was going. And he put me through a series of questions and, and kind of like, what do you want to do? What did you enjoy? You know, like all of these things, everything kept coming back to photography, which, hmm. I, which I had started in high school. And by the end of it, he essentially said, like, I don't think you need me to tell you, you know, what you're supposed to pursue. And within a couple of weeks, I went to find out, you know, what department is photography in and, and how do I kind of shift into that. And at, at that school, you know, the photo program was basically a photojournalistic program. But luckily enough, there was a professor there, uh, Ron Juliet, who was a doctor, you know, he had his doctorate and we called him Dr. J. And which was for me, you know, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, so he was the second Dr. J I knew. Um, <laughs> and he really, you know, I, he's the person who helped me figure out where I was headed with the medium. And then the other thing that happened there was Ed Pinar was at Indiana University of Pennsylvania as well. And we kind of hit it off. Both him and I were not, even though he was doing completely different work than I was doing. 
we were definitely not like the other students who were pursuing more, you know, photojournalistic kind of avenues with their work. And then Ed moved to San Francisco. And we had always talked about doing something together, whether it was a studio, photo studio or something. And I always said, I'm not moving to the West Coast, so I'll be the East Coast office and you can be the West Coast office. And when I when I graduated IUP, you know, I realized I had not gotten everything I wanted about photography. So I should I thought I should go to grad school. I was going to take one year off and then I was going to try to get into grad school. Uh, so I came out here to study with, you know, Larry Sultan, Jim Goldberg, but also Chris Johnson and Sue Seriglio, who were people I didn't know of at the time, but became very important people once I got here as mentors. You know, at the time, Hank Willis Thomas was there. The next year, John Chiara was a student. So it was Gregory Halpern, Sean McFarland. And I think at that time, what Jim and Larry were doing with the grad program, people were coming there to work with them. So I, right. re I remember curatorial studies classes that Hank Willis and Thomas and I were the only people who were getting their MFAs in those classes. And then I started teaching at a private high school out here. So after my first year in grad school, I applied for a job at the Urban School, which is a private high school here in the city that has an alternative approach to pedagogy. So that was a, a really busy point in my life because I was wrapping up my second year in grad school and trying to figure out how to be a teacher at the same time. So when, what was the, the jump from being a photographer to uh, being a director for, you know, one of the biggest photographic museums today? So after about six years of teaching and I had graduated, I, I was offered some shows for my photography, but to be honest, I was a little skeptical at the, of the art world and the gallery world at that time. So I just kind of focused on my teaching I made tenure there. I really liked teaching there. I learned, you know, again, I was lucky enough to be around, you know, some of the best teachers. So, so they taught, they taught me how to be a good teacher. But then I just, I realized I, it, I couldn't do that for the rest of my life. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I had some classes, but I wasn't going to teach at a high school for the rest of my life. And I had planned to open a gallery uh, and I had a different model for kind of financing it. And I was lucky enough at the time when I was teaching at Urban High School to meet Frisch Brandt, who is the president of right. Frankel Gallery. You know, she was helping me with how to approach opening a gallery. And I wanted to show young and emerging photographers. So at some point, Katie Grant and I was meeting with her every now and then and looking at her work. Um, mm -hmm. Katie said to me, you need to meet this guy, Andy Pallara. Uh, he's starting a space here in the city. He's a collector. He's collected my work. You have a lot of similar ideas. Well, with a couple months after that, his name came up via Frisch as well. So Frisch, mm. Frisch set up a meeting. And it wasn't for a job. This was not a job interview. It was just you two should meet each other. You have similar interests. My guess is at the time I thought, well, he collects photography. I'm opening a gallery. Maybe, you know, he'll collect some of the artists I'm showing. He's someone who should know. He's obviously opening a museum. But it was just what happens when photo nerds get together, which is a conversation right. straight off into all different topics. And that's what it became. It was almost he was quizzing me at times about who did I like? What did I think about this artist? You know, these types of things. And then I didn't hear from Andy for a while. He came to my hmm. studio wanted to buy a project I did where I printed portraits onto brown grocery store bags and showed them open in kind of like a sculptural way. Uh, hmm. But we stayed in touch. And at some point, he started calling me more and he wanted me to come see his space. And he brought me down to the space. I went through it. And he at the end, we sat down and talked for a couple of hours. But he said what he said to a lot of people. I'd be interested to hear what you think I should do with the space and how it should operate. You know, and you don't have to answer now, but give it some thought. So I, I wrote 10 pages of notes 
And then I went to Frisch's house and we, she helped me kind of pare it down to, I think it was two or three pages. And some were philosophical and some were, you know, literal thing, you know, staff the peer with volunteers, but give them really like hands-on experience that's going to, you know, get them, get their foot into a job in the art world. And then we'll start seeding uh, the San Francisco art scene with people who started at the pier. And, you know, and I remember, I think the number one thing on the list was like, don't ever think you figured out the way to show photographs, because if you do get to that point, you're just going to be doing what everybody else does and putting them up in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. So I reviewed those with him. I, I, I emailed him. I said, I can email you this list of notes. And he said, no, come to my business. Let's review it. So it took us a while to review it. At the end, he said, you know, you've given this more thought than anybody, maybe even myself. How do you see yourself being involved? And I don't I didn't even know what to say. I thought I could run his educational program, help him with books because I had, you know, like most people, I'm a photo book nerd. But before I could even answer, he said, you know what, let me make this easy on you. I want you to run the entire space. (laughs) <laughs> and I think I was quiet and he's, you know, and he, and I said, oh, you know, okay. And he said, well, are you okay with that? You know? And I said, yeah, you know, I've never worked at a museum or a gallery before. And he said, well, what are your weaknesses? You know, and I listed off all these things. And, but I said, I, but the one thing I can tell you is I will quickly make those weaknesses strengths and you won't find someone who will work harder than me. And he hired me as the founding director of the pier, you know, so I was dropped in the the middle of a construction site that went on longer than it should. And then it gave, you know, Andy, myself and his wife, Mary, time to talk about what the space should be, how it should operate. Should there be wall text? How, you know, a lot of the nuts and bolts of, you know, how do people engage with the work? Uh, So it gave us time to kind of think about those things and talk about it more. At that time, I was 33. Yeah. Um, You know, you're the director of this large photography museum that hasn't opened yet. And, you know, that's where it all started for me in this. And we were going to bring in, the plan was to bring in curators to curate shows. Mm. But that never happened. So by default, you know, I just, with with Andy, and the first couple of shows, Jeffrey Frankel would come down and kind of talk to us about spacing and sequence, you know, and things. A lot reiterated mm-hmm. a lot of stuff I, you know, I from photography. I mean, when you when you shoot pictures and make bodies of work, and you have to edit something, you already think about pace and sequence and those things. Uh, if mm-hmm. you if you've made a book, you think about the scale of it on the page, uh, and that's what you're doing. You know, that's what it's translating to the wall in that sense. So, I mean, for photographers, that really comes into play when they're working on a body of work. You know, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of the photography that I'm drawn to, they call it documentary style. No one's come up with a great definition of it. It's people who go into the world and they look. Hank Hank Wessel called it soft eyes. You have soft eyes. You're not going out to shoot a specific (laughs) thing. You're seeing what the world reveals to you. And are you able yeah. to capture it, you know, in an right. aesthetically pleasing way? And then you have to take all of those moments and edit it into something. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's a, something as a whole. Yeah. And right. that that idea of a body of work and then putting together a book, you know, and this is what, you know, Alex Soap does. Uh, mm-hmm. It's what Janet Delaney does. It's what Mimi Plum is doing now because she's putting out some of the best books I think right now of the work that people, I agree people looked past in the 70s and 80s and now I'm going you know and I've met Mimi a bunch of time I mean I'm mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. my god who how has this artist <laughs> not been everywhere in the world and people seeing this work because it's so good. yeah but it's that what you do that yeah. act of of editing, which I really believe, and I've said this a lot yeah. and done it, is the secret art of photography. Everybody talks about the picture making, but when you're doing that type of work where it's about the body of work. So that's how we approach when, we, when we're when we looking at work is that it's the same thing. It's I look at the book, I look at the body of work, and I really have to try to figure out what is the work about and 
you know, if, if it's 35 pictures and we're only able to put up 20, are we really representing the body of work in that way? By the banks of the river Where the willows hang down And wild birds they warble So I'm kind of interested in that. You were saying how you were dealing with so many moving pieces when curating a show and, and putting together a show. I'd love you to walk us through, you know, the process of when you have an idea for a show, how you go about executing it, who you have to contact, what galleries you have to deal with, what photographers, what artists you have to deal with. And then how does that incorporate with Andy's own collection? Yeah. So early on at the pier, we were working directly from Andy's collection. All our energy goes into putting up the absolute best exhibition. And it has to because of the logistics. We don't, I could, I do not have time to be working on an essay, nor does Allie to be working on an essay. We will write a foreword for the exhibition that kind of frames the, the ideas of the exhibition. And then it, all the time goes into laying out 17 galleries, getting the work produced, getting it framed, and getting it on the walls. And then what we do is we have time to, to see the exhibition up in its entirety. Now, we're doing a lot of this in 3D models now. So we lay it all out in models, so we're able to kind of virtually walk through the show as we're designing it in the model. Then what we do is we, Ali produces a catalog, we the first thing we produce is a gallery guide which are installation shots titles and everything because we're not putting text on the walls we want to keep the walls visually clean we really encourage people to kind of experience the space first by looking and not feeling like they need to read a, a quote that we've put in the gallery guide or anything and walk through the space but then we typically what we'll do is we bring in a writer you know and it it could be a curator and it could be a teacher it could be someone who's just known for writing but then we kind of talk to them about the exhibition hopefully they can come see it if not we send them installation shots and they then write some scholarship about the exhibition so that's where it's inverted is that you know we're putting up the exhibition and then we're encouraging someone from the photo community to respond to it and write about it now I'll talk with that writer mm -hmm. But, but that's where kind of that inversion happens is that the essay and the catalog is not coming first prior to the exhibition uh, going up mm -hmm. on the wall. As you know, we are not just putting uh, photographs up, you know, in a line on a wall. We're, we're you know, we're doing a lot yeah. of different things with photographs when it is appropriate for the work. We just hung a, a room of Robert Adams' work this week you know, it's a very traditional hanging. Allie did the room. She's smart enough to know, you know, Bob's work is pretty quiet. You're not going to, you know, do a crazy salon of that work. Um, but when a room, yeah. you know, uh, does call for something like that, you know, especially Lee Friedlander, we've done it with a lot because of... Yeah, or Heido. Or Heido. And that's Heido, you know, that that's Heido, you know. Heido comes, comes right. to the table with, how he wants, and there's a dialogue and changes are made, but he's where I'm trying to push young photographers to be, which is not to yeah. leave your presentation up to curators, but how you're framing the work, how you're putting it on the wall, those decisions need to be made and worked out in the studio. And I, I get it, young photographers are focused on making books because it's expensive to frame and mount and do work. And you're not going to do that unless you have an exhibition, typically. But you need to at least plan it out. You know, and I think Tanya Franco-Klein is a perfect example of a young photographer who I think is very clear on how she's presenting her work. I think it complements the work she's making. And I think she's, you know, pushing the presentation of photography in new directions, you know, and that falls within the lineage of, you know, the Wolfgang Tillmans 
and Paul Graham, who I think are two of the artists who mm-hmm. really started thinking outside the box about how to put images on the walls. You know, and it, it, Paul, mm-hmm. I think with Shimmer of Possibility, the books get a lot of credit because they're, you know, the first edition where every canvas was a different color. They're just beautiful objects. The scale shifting on the pages and, and the pacing of the books is really great. But the contribution to the photo world that he made via that body of work is how he put it on the walls. I mean, it was just kind of revolutionary. So, and that, you know, Tillman's has been doing that and thinking outside the box since back in the 90s. Yeah. Well, you said something interesting there about artists who are working on their own photo books as opposed to galleries just based on uh, monetary restrictions. I'm curious, you know, when is an artist established enough to be on your radar and, and what do they need to do to do that before you decide or conclude that they are worthy of being elevated? Well, I, the first thing I would say is I would love to think I have the power to make, to elevate someone and deem that they're worthy. I think there was that thought probably, you know, 10 to 20 years ago that New York MoMA was the epicenter of photography. And if, you know, if they put a solo exhibition up of somebody, they canonize them instantly. I don't mm. think that that's the way uh, the photo world and art world sees it anymore. I think it's it's a whole series of events that kind of deems somebody at a level that people should be paying attention to. And it starts first and foremost with independent book publishers. Mm-hmm. Independent book publishing is pushing people's knowledge of young photographers right now. and. You know, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. where I turn to. And it started out with people like Jason Fulford, uh, with J&L mm-hmm. Books, and it led to people like Paul Sheik right. with TVW and Deadbeat Club now is publishing mm-hmm. works and Ice Plant in L.A. But I don't, you know, we don't approach, there's nothing someone has to have done for us to deem them good enough to be Put up in Pier 24. It, there, it's not like, well, if you had a book with Mac, then we consider that. You know, we're hoping to just put up strong photography. And if someone's a complete unknown and we think the work's good, we're going to put it up. You know, and that's that's happened before at this space. Well, that's encouraging because I think a lot of people would treat spaces like Pier 24, MoMA as a Kind of like, you know, this is for the professionals. This is for the legends. Uh, well, it, And uh, it's reassuring that, you know, I mean, just that anyone creating great work it could be well, noticed. You have to look at it this way. I, I guess part of it is, sure, if you look at our early exhibitions, they're steep in the masters of the medium. But that that's where right. Andy's collection was at the time. His collection right. was rooted in new topographics, new documents, those two mm-hmm. exhibitions. So there was a lot of Arbus, Winogrand, Friedlander, Robert Adams, Henry Wessel, Louis Baltz, Hiroshi Sugimoto, mm-hmm. Dorothea Lang, if you went a little bit before that time period, mm-hmm. um, some Walker Evans. Yeah. So when you're starting a new space and working from that collection, I, I think one of the first things you have to do is kind of pay homage to that and def- and and establish that the space knows the canon and and that we have some of those artists in that canon and that we're going to show them. Yeah, I think if you looked at the first 5 years of our exhibition versus the last 5 years of our exhibition, there's a there's a big difference there. Yeah, the last 5 years you're going to see a lot younger photographers in the exhibitions, a lot of photographers, you know, from different countries where they're, it's the first time they've been exhibited in the United States. You know, someone like Avoyshka Vandermolen, who, you know, like I went to do a studio visit probably six or seven years ago in Amsterdam and thought the work was really strong and stayed in touch with her. And eventually we had the opportunity to work with her. But it's also someone like Erica Demon, who was a volunteer at the pier and was leaving one day and said she was going to show her work to, to a curator. And I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm sarcastic. I like to give people a hard time at times. 
And I kind of gave her a hard time and said, like, oh, what? I'm not good enough to see it. Uh, you know, and, and she got defensive and said, no, 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 no. And I said, no, I'm only kidding. You know, I'm joking. But I do want to see your work. And she showed me her work. I'm, I am known for in portfolio reviews or whatever. I do not, you know, in the boxing world, they call pull your punches. I, <laughs> if I think the work's strong, I say it's strong. If I don't think it's strong, I tell them I don't think it's strong. It's critical feedback. I think critical feedback's important. But it was very clear the second I saw Erica's work that the work was on a very high level and dealing with issues that are important culturally in our world today. Mm -hmm. So immediately I went into teacher mode, how I, you know, and I started asking all the questions I did. How big do you want to print this? How are you going to do this? What about this? What about this? And after that discussion, we realized she probably had to reshoot the entire project again. <laughs> and most photographers, I, I mean, go, I was, I was part of that process too. I don't know if she ever met, she probably never mentioned me, but, um, oh, really? Yeah, just in, in, when it came to the printing, there was yeah. a, a lot of issues that she had to to problem solve with how she was going to present it consistently and all that. And I, yeah. I actually came up with uh, a, an action for her in Photoshop to treat all of her photos so that they all, you know, didn't clip at a certain point. And, but they yeah. had the bright whites in the background and all that stuff. So, But that's a good example, right? Erica's a student in San Francisco, she's a volunteer at the pier. Mm -hmm. I see her work, I think it's strong. I show it to Andy, he's blown away by it. We decide to fund the project and then her next project as well. And then something happens and it's the collected show. We realize we're yeah. gonna put up all these other things but we have some space and we're gonna put up Erica's work as well. Erica was sandwiched between Robert Frank, <laughs> William Eggleston, Wow. And Hiroshi Sugimoto. Wow. And I mean that we and, you know, when we would walk people through the show, it was not, oh, here's a student photographer. It was here's Erica Demon. I mean, she's on that level. She was, all, you know, I didn't. People would say, like, look how you helped her. I didn't do anything. All I did was see good work and say, I want to continue to work with her and watch her progress. And if we get an opportunity, we're gonna put it up. And we and that opportunity came up. Now, we also put, allowed her to do a pop-up show at the pier while she was in school, because she graduated and you, you, know, you helped print a lot of those pictures and she never got to put them all up. So in between installations of shows, we allowed her to hang all the silhouettes up in our biggest gallery and she gave her one night where her families and friends came and were able to see the complete set of images too. That predated her yeah. being in the collected show. Yeah. I remember that show. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna open back up with kind of a slightly changed version of the first part of our 10th anniversary show. It's, it's a show called uh, Looking Back that Ali curated. It's literally looking at kind of where the collection was when the space opened. So. Since it was closed prematurely, we changed seven of the rooms and we're going to open it back up so, you know, everybody has a chance to see that show. Our next show is going to be called Looking Forward, which is also curated by Ali. Hmm. Erica is going to be in that show with her second body of work. There's also a young man in San Francisco named Austin Leong. He's hmm. a street photographer, but he's going to he was a volunteer at the pier. He's going to be in that exhibition as well. And then Eva O'Leary, who is a established photographer now, but when she was at CCA, she volunteered at the pier. She's going to have a room in that show. And Richard Leroy's in that show and Todd Heido. And there's a bunch of other people in the show as well. Zanelli Mohali. But the thing we're excited about is three of our former volunteers are in the exhibition about kind of where the collection is at this moment. And that's mm -hmm. important to us because, I mean, the pier really is a family to us. We, you know, at the heart, if you ask me what's one piece of advice to give young photographers, someone trying to be, it's surround yourself with talented people. The reality is what I said before. I have a great 
staff that is so talented. And then the people we bring in that we work with, I'm talking about our framers, the mounters, Ship Art International. We have two guys who are installers there that they're the ones who are willing when I come in and I say, I want to hang these 56 photos in this crazy way that actually have to do it. I mean, they help all of these things come true. And that's, you know, that's where Erica, you know, you, you meet a great printer and you're willing to listen to their advice, to, to hear their expertise and to hone your craft even more to push your work visually to that next level. You know, I didn't know any of that because the work just came back looking great. So I was like, Erica figured it all out. Now, again, she made the pictures in the first place. The silhouettes were unbelievable the first time she shot them. She just didn't shoot it all medium format. And at right. the scale she wanted to work with, it had to be medium or large format. Right. You know, so so that's, I mean, when you ask me, how do we decide someone's good enough to be elevated? Austin and Erica never even had a book. They've never mm-hmm. been shown in any other museum. But we think they're talented and we're willing to put their work up and stand behind it and say, we think this work is good. We think it's as good to be put up next to Sugimoto and Robert Frank, and it can hold its own. And then it's up to the community to decide if they agree with us. Erica got a show at Berkeley Art Museum within like two months of being up at the pier. So of course, when I find out Larry Rinder is gonna give her a show, I mean, I hold Larry Rinder in the highest regard. Yeah. You know, yeah. so so that that validates that. And I, you know, I would love to see more of that at museums. I love William Eggleston's work, but I've seen enough of it at museums. Yeah. You know, like like yeah. let's let's get back to John Zarkowski, to Sandy Phillips, to Ann Tucker, their philosophy of let's find the next generation because that's what I you know and Let's, yeah, and also the, the the artists that just weren't noticed. You know, like you mentioned, yeah. Mimi Plum. There's so many great artists that probably well, just Mimi, never got picked Mimi, up. Yeah, Mimi Plum, Janet Delaney. Right. You know, just in, there's two people in San Francisco. Michael <laughs> Jang in Yeah, San Michael, Francisco. he's awesome. And to, and to start, you know, that Clement Cheroux, who now is at New York MoMA and was here at SF MoMA for a while, that is, he had some ideas that I really loved. One was, you know, buying complete bodies of work by artists. And if you're going to buy it, put it up right away. Yeah. You know, if you believe in it that much, share it with the, your community immediately. Don't don't mm-hmm. let it sit on the shelves for 30 years and then bring it out that you had bought it 30 years ago. And I love that idea. I You know, I'd love to see more of that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, too, what you said about it's not up to one show to make or break an artist's career. It's kind of like the equivalent of going back to, you know, wanting to be a basketball player or a baseball player is, um, you know, you can get signed, but there's a whole lot of work to make sure that you stay on top. Uh, you can't just, uh, assume that once you're represented, that it's going to be a cakewalk. It's, it's actually going to be harder. No, and that that's exactly right, is that, you know, Wolfgang Tillman's recently got picked up by David Zwerner Gallery. Mm. Well, I've been, you know, I've been a fan of Wolfgang Tillman's since I bought The Bird back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he was someone who I thought, he got he, he got shows, but I thought he should be, you know, a, a superstar. You know, right. and, and I think once he signed with Zwerner, that validated it in some people's eyes and, and kind of put him on that plateau. Now, if you looked at what he was doing with his exhibitions back in the 90s, early 2000s, and what he always does, he's been pushing the medium for a long time. So mm-hmm. you, you can't just judge it based on who's representing this person. You know, have they gotten a show? There's a lot of photographers who got shows early on with John Zarkowski that you never really heard about again you know most of the time john was spot on but even that that work he showed where maybe the photographer just never produced another good body of work or the pressure was too much you know you're right you know getting a gallery to represent you publishing a book those are stepping stones but you are going to have to continue to push try to understand the medium and work 
to keep moving forward because people are always looking at what's the second body of work what's coming next you know yeah so there's a story around this which is when i was in grad school hank willis thomas was one of you know he obviously we're in all our classes together like i said you know all the studio classes because we're we're both in the photography program. We spent a lot of time with Larry Sullen because he was kind of running the photo grad program at that time. And Hank had developed a term that which was ass, art superstar. And, and people like Wolfgang Tillmans, we felt like were in that realm. You know, it's like they're doing fashion magazines, they're getting exhibitions mm-hmm. at the Venice Biennale, museums. You know, they're they're living off their art, which is very hard to do. You know, right. most people supplement their income by teaching or doing something else. But I remember after a critique one day, Hank, Larry and myself were talking, you know, about about this, because this is the thing that's hard. You know, it's like Larry doesn't know what the formula was to kind of get a gallery and do this. You know, you can be talented and just never be seen, you know, truly seen and overlooked. And I remember Hank said, well, Larry, you're an ass, meaning a superstar. <laughs> and Larry said, I'm not an ass. You're wrong. No one paid attention to me. After Pictures from Home came out, no one paid attention to yeah. the work I made after that. It wasn't until the Valley they started paying attention yeah. again. Yeah. I'm, and he said, I'm not an ass. I just stuck around so long they finally had to pay attention to me. Right, right. And I think that's what... You know, a lot of young photographers have to realize is you can't hang your passion and your dream of, you know, being a successful artist, whatever that means, on if I get this exhibition at this gallery or if I get this book done or I get this. You know, some people are just making good work. If you have that passion and you keep making and keep putting out that work, eventually they're going to pay attention to you. And I know mm-hmm. for a fact that Paul Graham felt that way for a long time, you know, and that's hard as an artist. You're putting yourself out there by making work. And if it if it gets like one show at a gallery and you're expecting, you know, maybe it's going to get a museum show, maybe it's going to travel and it just one show at a gallery and then it, it gets kind of tucked away again. And it's like, well, start working on the next body of work. That's hard. I tell a lot of young photographers, like, you have to know the moment where you just have to kind of finish that body of work and start on the new one. Because there's this, I think a lot of young photographers, and I've seen this when I do portfolio reviews, I'll see someone two years later with the same body of work, and they have like four new images in it. And they think, well, if I just get that, those final five really great pictures in it, like, I'm going to get the book published, I'm going to get shows, and that's what's going to launch me. And I think it's just learning. You know, there's a lot of, and Henry Wessel said this to me all the time, you know, you have to make the bad pictures to learn from them. Yeah. You know, so you have to kind of learn from that body of work and take what you learn to the new body of work. So it's knowing when to make that shift. You remind me of a Sunday Back home in old Kentucky With the church choirs just belting to the pines So what would be the one thing you would tell an artist today? What would be your gem or advice to them? My advice to anybody out there is surround yourself with really talented and smart people because you benefit from that. I mean, that's, you know, I I don't know if it's luck or you just try to find those people in your life because, you know, this goes back to Ed Pinar Mm -hmm. in college. It's like, look what Ed's doing now. He's published tons of books. We've shown him at the pier. He's, you know, he's a figure in the photo world. We were both college students. Our paths took us in different directions, Mm -hmm. but we're still able to work with each other. But if there was no Ed, Ed pushed me so hard because he was doing well, mm-hmm. and it and it made me want to do well. You know, we talk, we've talked about this a lot. It's a positive competition. I yeah, don't want rising tides. Yeah, I don't want bad for him. I'm not like it's not like a football game where I'm like, no, yeah, yeah. 
Ed Pinar. It's like, <laughs> man, man, Ed just got a book with Jason Fulford at JNL. I remember right. when that happened. I, yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, I need to step my game up. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, right. That type of thing. If Ed can do it, I know Ed, you know, we've, we, We've photo nerded out, which I've done with, every, you know, that's, I think that's one of the keys when you ask, what does someone need to do to, you know, to, for us to be able to be like, we want to show their work. It's not hard for me to sit down at a portfolio review with someone and start asking them questions. You know, most recently I did a uh, charcoal book club does reviews in Chico, Montana. Yeah. Yeah. Chico hot springs. Yeah. And they bring everybody, they bring all these great artists in and they're there for a week. And Mm -hmm. then all these young photographers come in and you all just hang out at this kind of like rustic hot spring. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to apply to that, but it was, it was just a little out of my price range. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you have to consider those things when you're doing portfolio reviews. You know, there's Houston, a lot of people do. This I have to say is one of the best because you're literally sitting in a bar with Mark Steinmetz and mm-hmm. Todd Heido, mm-hmm. and I'm there doing the reviews, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm hanging <laughs> out with all these people, right? Yeah, and then there's just roster. all these young photographers, right? You know, right. And, and it's like if I sit down, Virginia Wilcox, for example, who I think Deadbeat Club's going to publish her book because they met her at this review. The second I sat sat down with Virginia and I started to pick her mind, not about her work. I mean, her work was good. That's obvious as soon as I look at it. But just about what lineage does she fall in as a photographer? Who are the photographers she looks at? You know, that it's very quickly I can tell how much someone's looked and read and thought about the medium. And that you very, you know, I call, you know, kind of with pride, photo nerds. You know, it's like you you sit down and you can just talk endlessly about books photography technical stuff of the medium you know that's what i love hanging out with richard leroy and john chiara because their mind goes in a direction yeah that i you know right because they do all the camera obscura photographs the one of ones yeah and they they're you know their their knowledge of lenses Mm -hmm. and apertures and depth of field is so beyond mine right that it's it's that and so you quickly learn so i sit down with virginia and I instantly know she's cut kind of from the same cloth, which is, you know, photo nerd cloth, you know, and then I'm able to have this discussion and get deeper and more into the details than just making the pictures. And that's what I tell young photographers. Just making pictures is not enough. You have to study the medium. You have to look at the books. You have to be obsessed with it. It's this level of obsession that just ha- it kind of dominates your life. You know, and there's this belief that, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to master something, whether it's the cello or Tom Brady playing. I I think that, you know, and I've talked with a lot of people about this, that's vastly underestimated the amount of time you have to put in to, to kind of get to that level of, you know, of obsession and knowing something. Absolutely. And there's, you know, there's two things. One is the Dunn-Kruger effect when you have the belief that you know more about something than you actually do, you know, you're kind of full of confidence, you know, like you, you know, you hear our president say it a lot right now. It's called arrogance. I think. Well, that's another word for it, but it's this, but this is an actual psychological thing where you really believe like, you know, like when, if Trump says, I know more about ISIS than the generals do. Right. Now, any person says there is no way possible. They've been in the military their whole life. They yeah. literally study that's their ISIS job. to try to, yeah. that's their job. And you, you're just making that statement. Yeah. So there, that's one thing. And then there's another side of that, which is essentially the imposter effect, which is you when you start to learn enough about something, you know how little you know about it. And that's how I feel a lot of the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Which is... If I sit down with Richard Leroy, I realize I know very little about the technical elements of photography. And he is a mad scientist, just like John Chiara is, and just like Steve Rifkin, the guy who prints a lot of Richard Leroy, he's probably the best printer in the world. You know, the way their minds understand the way light works is on a scientific level. 
So that makes me feel like, God, I studied photography. I was a photographer. I don't. I know so little about how to technically make a good picture. And then you sit down with someone like Sarah Greenow, and you talk to her about her working on a Robert Adams show, and doing the book and how she analyzes the prints and thinks about it. And then, and then you realize, my God, she's on the. I mean, this she might be on the Mount Rushmore of curators with John Zarkowski and Ann Tucker. And you, so you, when you surround yourself with those people, it also gives you that feeling where it's like the more and more you study something, the more and more you realize you can't know everything about it. And you need those people that specialize and do those things like yourself with printing for Erica, or if I needed to know about, you know, a specific photographer and Sarah or Ann Tucker or Sandy Phillips have done a book, I'm lucky enough to call them and ask them questions mm-hmm. or email them or sit down with them. You know, so that's where that kind of, or Ed Pinar and Melissa Katanese, it's like, not art, when I work on a show, there's a lot of times where I write Ed and Melissa and I say, hey, I'm working on this show. What photographers right now are doing interesting work that are younger around this topic or this? Mm-hmm. And they'll, you know, and they quickly send me a list of projects and photographers and it's like wow look i mean i can call all these things from different people by doing that you know and that again you know it's surrounding yourself with those people and i tell every grad school that comes in we have a a group that comes from australia every year on an exchange that we do that we started at the pier we connected the school with uh, cca and the first thing i tell them is find that circle of people where you can share the ideas and critique the work and do that. You know, it was Ed Pinar early on for me, and then it was Ed Pinar and Tim Hyde. And then I was lucky enough to have, you know, Dana Miller and Todd Heido and different people come into that. But it, it's finding those people who are talented and you trust their opinions and getting that feedback and, and nerding out with them on it, you know, so... If you get into it and go to the events and the openings and stuff, you're going to start to connect with these people, you know, that that are are doing the interesting stuff, you know, and and Tim and a lot of them are out there. And then you realize you're all cut from the photo nerd cloth. So you, you have a lot to talk about. It's funny. I went to a workshop with Alex South in Vancouver and it was one of the best weeks of my life. I mean, yeah, I, it, it, it's funny how much is stored inside you, and you never really get to talk about it when you're not around those people. You know, I moved back to Texas and I've been creating my own work, and I haven't really had that much of a community other than maybe Brian to talk about work. And when I got up to Vancouver, it was like all that stuff was suppressed in me, and it was just like I couldn't stop talking, I couldn't stop like oh, yeah. no, listening, I couldn't, you know, I, I couldn't sleep. You know, it was like, I mean, oh, yeah. I, I remember Alec no, and I and a few other the photographers there, we stayed up till like 2 a.m. the first night just drinking and telling personal yeah. stories and talking about photographers and how that relates to their personal stories. And um, it's just a lot of fun. So that, you know what, that's exactly. So Chico's like that. Yeah. For sure. I know yeah. it's expensive. Yeah. And, you know, but I, there's a lot of young photographers that I keep in touch with that I met there because yeah. you sit up all night and do that. Right. But that's what you're describing is exactly what Ed Pinar and I have had since we were like 19 years old. And yeah. when Ed comes out here and stays with me. It gets to one of those exact same things where it's like, oh, shit, it's two o'clock or it's yeah. three o'clock in yeah. the morning. I got I got to go to bed. I got to be at the pier in the morning where he's. He's going to go out and shoot so he can sleep in. Yeah. And then I go to bed and for like an hour, my mind is just racing because you've taught, you know, I mean, that feeds your soul. That's what makes you want to go out and make the work yeah. and keep doing it. And especially, I mean, trust me, Alec is like, you know, there for sure. I mean, I've had many of those talks with Alex and, yeah, you know, he he's, uh, I think that this is the last thing I want to say if young photographers were listening to this, yeah. which is... That excitement and that kind of desire is like what it's all about for a lot of us. Yeah. You know, and that you that that's where I'm saying is like you gotta find those people and have that because if you don't, 
part of you is stunted because you're not able to share and think of ideas. Henry Wessel did that for me because when I first started going to see him, you know, a couple times a month, I was able just to say a lot of the stuff I was thinking about the medium and he would validate it for me. I would say all this stuff and he would go, yeah, you're right. And then he would, you know, what I stumbled through for five minutes trying to articulate, he would perfectly articulate in two sentences about how the medium operates. But what Alec does, Larry did it, Hank did it, and hopefully this keeps getting passed down to people, is you feel like you're in it and you're working with them to understand the medium. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to figure out how you work with pictures to tell stories and to, to, you know, create narratives and to challenge people and and we're all working on that together because even though we're born seeing first and learning language different we spend our entire life trying to put language into what we're trying to do visually with images yeah yeah you know that's the reality and and we and getting in those like we're staying up till early in the morning and having drinks and just talking is part of that kind of fraternity of photographers of hey we're trying to figure out this visual medium Mm -hmm. and if i can if i can glean one little thing from alec tonight or carter or ed or hank it's worth it like i I, i'm they're giving me one gem that helps me understand this medium a little bit better and that's where that's surrounding yourself with people and engaging in that those kind of photo nerd sessions is so big and they've all done it they've all done it freelander with arbus with hank wessel with winogrand with baltz you know you find out lewis baltz larry salton and hank wessel all played racquetball and talked about photography afterwards that's i awesome. mean it's like they 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 just spent the time together and, and had the dialogue and yeah. the dialogue is as important as the shooting in a lot of the cases absolutely so. yeah for me yeah. I, it's so important too when you get into the personal stuff because that's really what we're doing is you know why does this matter and why does it matter to us and it, it all stems to something from our childhood yeah. or our past or you oh, know yeah. our emotions and for me, I, I, I have a buddy, uh, Trent Bailey, who we get together yeah. and drink whiskey and listen to records and yeah. just listen to records. And then we'll talk about it and then that will mesh its way into our photography and we'll start showing each other pictures and it just kind of just yeah. snowballs from there. Yeah, well, in my photography, music was a bigger influence for me early on than uh photography was because I, I would listen to so much music while I was making work and while I was editing it and I just you know I was in a school with it was photojournalism so I didn't have the exposure to you know the people that were in the kind of more fine art realm mm-hmm. so I mean I I, com- I completely understand that All right, cool, man. Well, I, I should probably head home. I got to drive. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you. It was great. And the podcasts, you know, what, the ones that I listen to so far are great. So keep it going. Cool. All right. Yeah. Have a great weekend. Okay. Bye. Just where it was. Okay, that wraps it up for my episode with Christopher McCall. Hope you enjoyed it. For my American listeners, have a great Thanksgiving this week. And everyone out there, stay safe. Have a good weekend.